0: I want to invite you to turning your Bibles to John chapter 3. We're continuing our series, Working Through the Gospel According to John. We're calling that series Believe, and uh, I'm excited that we're coming to chapter 3. I've been waiting uh, very uh, excitedly with great anticipation for us to come to chapter 3 because there is some wonderful life-giving truth for us in this chapter. Uh, If you know me, uh, as you're turning to John chapter 3, if you know me, you know I'm kind of a nerd, okay? Uh, I like things like words. I find words interesting. All good nerds think words are very interesting. Uh, I like playing word games. Uh, There have been some times recently where my wife has, my wife Katie, has very gently and kindly admonished me for being on my phone. She thought I was texting Paul Gilbert about church business when, in fact, I was playing Words with Friends with Paul Gilbert on my phone. By the way, never play Paul Gilbert in Words with Friends. He knows all the little words that get you all the points. Um, see him after, he'll tell you what they are, and then, you won't, then you'll be able to beat him and play at his level. Uh, so, but I love word games. I love, like, analog scrabble, too. This past Friday night, uh, Katie and I, we, you know, we really turned it up. We got our kids in bed, busted out the scrabble board, had a great night of scrabbling. Uh, it was lots of fun. There's lots of fun things about words, right? And I'm, not, I'm going to stop here in just a second. You're like, come on, nerd, let's go. Uh, words are fun and interesting because words actually change over time. Their meaning can shift and inflect because of the ways uh, in which people use words. And so uh, an example of this is uh, there's a hymn that I love by Isaac Watts, the greatest hymn writer who ever lived wrote this beautiful hymn that I love. The melody really holds up. It's still very singable. The content of the words is beautiful. It's about the sweetness and the beauty of the local church when it gathers with Christ in her midst. It's a wonderful hymn. But it's not one we're probably going to sing anytime soon at Four Oaks. And here's the reason why. The first line of this hymn is, how sweet and awful is the place where Christ is in the doors. Okay? Now, in the 18th century, when Isaac Watts wrote that, the word awful meant awesome. We understand the word awful to mean something a little bit different now. Uh, not only that, there's another line in this, uh, in this hymn that says, uh, hear every bowel of our God with soft compassion rolls. Like, that's weird. That has a different connotation. It paints so a much different word picture now than it probably did for Isaac Watts. So we won't be singing that song. The point is, words tend to change and inflect over time. They paint different pictures in one age than they did in an age gone by. And sometimes... This is a disastrous thing. This is a disastrous thing. And one of the, one of the uh, words whose meaning, a phrase whose meaning has changed over time with disastrous consequences is the idea of being born again. Okay? In our text today, in John chapter 3, Jesus and Nicodemus are going to have an exchange over this idea of being born again. And in our day, in our age, born again has come to mean something different than it meant originally. Now it means a sort of a rallying from adversity. Being born again means turning over a new leaf or getting a new lease on life. Apparently, even brands can be born again now. I saw an article uh, in Fast Company from a couple years ago that asked, does your brand need to be born again? Shaky brands can become born again with a renewed spirit, a relevant connection to the market. By the way, uh, Russell Moore says, every time a pastor says the word brand in church, an angel sharpens his sword. And so... I'm just using it as a bad illustration, I promise. Um, That's not what born again is. Born again is not some sort of brand resurgence. No, no, it's something far more significant than that. The new birth is actually a miracle. And I would contend it's the greatest miracle God ever performs. And We want to see it for what it is. We want to understand it rightly. And so in order to do that, we're going to look to God's word. So if you're willing and able, would you stand with me? We're going to read John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is the Word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This then is the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. Surely the grass withers and the flower falls, but not the word of God. The word of God endures Forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we need your spirit to make us wise to salvation, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to comprehend, mouths to articulate the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. That is a supernatural thing. So bring it about. Let your word do its work in our hearts as we come under its authority. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your seats. So last week, Pastor Paul led us in a consideration of the very end of chapter 2, where where John has made a very interesting comment about Jesus. At the end of chapter 2, there's these crowds who are coming around Jesus, and they're they're actually believing in him. Jesus is doing all of these signs. He's, He's causing a ruckus in Israel. And these people are coming around him, but it says something interesting. It says, Jesus on his part, he did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. They believed in him, but Jesus didn't believe in them. They had faith in Jesus, but Jesus didn't have faith in them. He saw through their interest in him as the sign maker and sign giver to see the reality of their hearts. And when we come to chapter divisions in the Bible, Paul mentioned this last week, what we're supposed to do is ignore them and understand that there was no original break between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 when John wrote these words. And so we should see how these sentences fit together. So the end of chapter 2 says, For he, Jesus himself, knew what was in a man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And what John is doing is he's saying, here's this statement about how Jesus rolls. And here's an illustration of Jesus doing that. Jesus knew what was in the heart of men. And now we're going to see through his interaction with Jesus that he knows what is in Nicodemus's heart. And he knew what Nicodemus needed. What Nicodemus needed was the new birth. Let's define, we've talked about what the new birth isn't, let's talk about what it is. A very nice and succinct definition of the new birth, or it's also elsewhere called regeneration in the Bible, comes from Wayne Grudem. He says that the new birth is the secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. The new birth is what happens when God brings dead hearts to life by uniting them to Jesus Christ through faith. The new birth is the life of God in the heart of man. That's what the new birth is. That's what Nicodemus needed. That's what you and I need. So here's our big idea this morning. Here's what I want us to see from this text. To enter the kingdom of God and to experience all the blessings of life with Jesus, you must be born again. If you're going to sing that there's 10,000 reasons for your heart to find to bless the Lord in order for you to receive the benefits of adoption, justification, Life with God. And order to experience any of that, you must first experience the new birth. You must be born again. Two points this morning. The necessity of the new birth and the mystery of the new birth. First, the necessity. You know, Jesus' statement to Nicodemus is pretty provocative. And what makes it so provocative is who Nicodemus is. The fact that he says it to Nicodemus. We got to remember, we we have a lot of Nicodemus' bio just in the short uh, description that's given of him here. Nicodemus, first of all, he's a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the most devoted, most educated, most religiously rigorous people in all of Israel. The word Pharisee actually means separated ones. They were separated from sort of the hoi polloi, the rest of God's people in, in Israel as the ones who saw themselves as being set apart for real, pure religious devotion to God. And they had lots of commands that they observed as a means of showing their external devotion to God. Uh, One of my favorite ones uh, is this. If you were to eat bread and then were to find out that that bread was baked over a fire that used wood that was used in an idol worship ceremony, then you had become defiled by that. You were now ceremonially unclean. So like where the wood came from like the backstory on the wood that burned the fire that baked your bread could actually make you unclean. Have you ever had like a really finicky dinner guest where they're like, let's talk about allergies, let's talk about the likes and the dislikes. The Pharisees were that times a thousand, right? Let's talk about the wood that you're going to build a fire with. Can you imagine? And the, the Pharisees' error is that their religion was, was solely external. They were guilty of externalism. They externalized devotion to the Lord that's why Jesus is constantly butting up against them and, and is just at loggerheads with them all the time. He says to them in Luke chapter 11, "You guys you, you spend all your time meticulously cleaning the outside of the cup. We don't realize the inside of the cup is filthy. You spend all your time on external religious devotion when what I'm after is your heart. I want to do a work in your heart. That's who the Pharisees. Were. And Nicodemus from among the Pharisees, he's kind of like the top banana. He's like the head Pharisee. He's the most pharisaical Pharisee, whoever Phariseed, right? Jesus actually refers to him in verse 10 as "The teacher in Israel," not just a teacher. He was the teacher in Israel. Not only was he a Pharisee, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling council in Israel in that day. So Israel was living under uh, the authority of the Roman Empire, but they were given at this point a measure of sort of autonomy to govern their own affairs. And the ruling Jewish council that held sway in matters pertaining to Israel was called the Sanhedrin, about 70 leaders. And to think about their authority and their role, think of like a cross between the U.S. Senate and the Supreme Court. They would judge in matters of the law. They would pass laws for the people of God. To observe. And these this was like the aristocracy. These were the, the highfalutin people in Israel. He would have been, Nicodemus would have been, as a member of this council, wealthy, well respected. He would have had a good family. He knew his Old Testament backwards and forwards. And yet, here he is coming to Jesus by night. You can almost imagine. Nicodemus, sort of having his whole external wor- world just orderly. Everything's on point. Everything's well put together. But inside, he's deeply disordered. During the day, everything looks good, but at night, he can't sleep. There's something that he can't square in his mind. Here's Jesus Christ, Jesus who has bypassed all the religious gatekeepers. He didn't have the formal rabbinic training that a teacher in Israel would need to have, and yet he's doing all of these signs. He's turning over tables in the temple. He's drawing crowds. He seemingly has the authority of God upon him. And Nicodemus just doesn't really know where to file that. And so he's restless. And he comes to Jesus by night, usually in John. The idea of someone coming by night uh, specifies a sort of spiritual darkness. And he comes to Jesus and he speaks to him and he says rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from god for no one can do these signs that you do you hear it the signs he's focused on the signs that Jesus is doing unless god is with him and it's worth noting here as well that nicodemus really shows jesus a lot of a lot of respect you know jesus would have been 30 years old or so at this time nicodemus would have been much older jesus was poor he was a blue collar galilean peasant fisherman nicodemus is part of the aristocracy Jesus has no formal training, Nicodemus has nothing but formal training, and yet he shows deference, he, he shows respect to Jesus, and you would think, you would think that Jesus would be excited about this, like what a coup for this new Christianity thing that's, that's beginning to pop up, like imagine your startup company has a super wealthy venture capitalist who wants to make a big investment in you. Imagine your team that is terrible, the, the best free agent who's available wants to come and join your squad like what a get for the kingdom of God right we can have Nicodemus that would be awesome Jesus doesn't do that does he now we imagine Jesus hearing Nicodemus make this statement to him and he probably paused and he looks at Nicodemus and he looks past the words that Nicodemus has spoken to the inner reality of his heart and he answers his heart. And he says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And you'll remember this truly, truly, I say unto you. We've heard that before from Jesus in this book. He said at the end of chapter 1 when he's speaking to Nathanael, and he's, he's doing something really interesting that we don't see other places. He's saying, Amen, Amen. You know that word. Everywhere else you see the word amen used in literature throughout history, it's used by someone to affirm the words of another. So the young rabbi gets up in the temple, he gives the message on the Torah, the old rabbis say, amen, it checks out, it's good. Jesus uses it differently here. He uses the amen twice, the double amen before he speaks. And what we saw a couple weeks ago is when Jesus says that, when he introduces his statement with amen, amen, he's saying, I'm taking away your right to decide whether or not, The thing I'm about to say is something that you like. I'm about to speak to you with my authority. You need to listen up, Nicodemus. I'm about to tell you something that is so foundational, so critical, so important to your life. You must not miss it. I'm going to cut right through the heart of your pretense, your religious posturing, and speak to your greatest and deepest need. And what does he need to hear in that moment? He needs to hear, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And this would have been a little bit disorienting, maybe even a little bit offensive to Nicodemus, because what Jesus has just said, in making that statement to him, he's taken all of Nicodemus's piety, all of his education, all of his religious devotion, and he's just cleared it completely off the table. And he says, pile it up as high as you want, Nicodemus. Stack it to the ceiling. It will avail you nothing before God unless you are born again. This is an offense to Nicodemus, and it's an offense to us too, isn't it? Because Jesus is the same thing to you and me. You know, I think Nicodemus is a great sort of proxy or a a person that we can really identify with as middle-class Americans in 2017 in Northeast Tallahassee. We look at Jesus and we say, you know, clearly you're a great man. Clearly you're an influential teacher. Clearly you've got some good moral things going on, but I've got some questions, Jesus. I need to examine some of these teachings that you have. They're a little weird. We need to talk. You need to convince me, Jesus. That's the mindset that Nicodemus is bringing before Jesus, right? Those are the questions he's bringing. And those are so often the questions we bring, too. And what what does Jesus say to Nicodemus and to us when we bring those questions before him? He just blows our questions up and says, I don't need to answer your questions. (laughs) You need to be born again. You need to experience this new birth, this secret act of God where he's going to impart spiritual life to you. That's what you need. And that would say, well, hold on a second, Jesus. I mean... Let's talk about me for a second, okay? I've got a good family. I'm a, I'm a good guy. Like, come on, come on, Jesus. I, you know, I, 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 have a, I have a good business. I'm, I'm very sincere. People, people like me. People respect me. I try to eat right, do CrossFit four times a week, and I tell everybody about it because that's what you do. Let's, let's bring this a little closer to home for us. But Jesus, you don't know, I've got really great Reformed theology. It's really tight. I read a John MacArthur and a John Piper book last week. Boom. (laughs) So, like, born again, come on, come on. And Jesus says, No, 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 no. None of that will save you. You must be born again because you have a problem that you don't even realize. Spiritually, you are dead. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Legally, you are guilty. You stand condemned by the law of God for the things that you've done. And the good that you've left undone. Morally, you are selfish. You love your own ways more than you love the things of God. You live outside of alignment with God's divine will for your life. Here's the truth of Scripture, guys. On our very best day, you and I are glory-stealing, God-defiling, gift-squandering idolaters. And even our most righteous deeds, the things that we try to do to please God, they are an offense to Him, apart from the new birth. That is what Scripture plainly teaches us about our state, apart from the grace of God. Here's why we need new birth. Our first birth is corrupted. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 says that as the tr- a one man's trespass led to condemnation for all. If you are descended from Adam, which every person in the room is, then you inherited a sin nature that you can't escape from, that you can't overcome by your obedience to God. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's Commands Could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Nobody dodges that. Here's the thing. You don't need a fresh coat of paint and some new floorings. You need the whole house to be knocked down and rebuilt. Your sin problem isn't an episode of Hometown, right? Have you seen Hometown on HGTV? You haven't seen this? All right, my kids love it. Um, If you haven't seen this, just think of every other show on HGTV, right? (laughs) My kids like it because they say that the guy in it reminds them of me, like tall, kind of a big guy with a big beard, kind of slow. I don't get it. I don't see it. I give them all time out every time they say it. <laughs> but on Hometown, it's like every other HGTV show. They, they find this place for this person, and the house is like nothing special. It's outdated. The fixtures need to be updated. They need to knock some walls down. And then like three months later, it's their dream house, right? Every episode of, H, every, episode of every show on HGTV of all time. And that's how we like to think of ourselves. I'm just, you know, my bones are good. I just need a little fixer-up action. I'll be fine. Jesus, you just need to fill in some of the gaps in my life. Just update my fixtures and I'll be just fine. No, no, no. You must be born again. Something far more radical than that needs to take place for you to see the kingdom of God. Steve Lawson says that we think we need a makeover, but what we really need is a takeover. Now listen, if this offends you, One, I think it's supposed to, the word of God and the gospel, it indicts first and then it invites. It tells us about our sin problem before it tells us about the solution that God's given in Christ. It gives us the bad news and that's what makes the good news so sweet. But if you find this offensive, I want you to just consider for a minute who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to Nicodemus, the most pharisaical Pharisee who ever Phariseed. And if he doesn't get to test out of the new birth, this man who had most of the Old Testament memorized, who had lived a life of rigorous devotion to God, you better believe you and I don't. No, you must be born again. You must receive this gift where God brings your, brings your dead heart to life through union with Christ by faith. And what's hard about this is it's not a command God's not giving Nicodemus something to do. He's just stating a fact. Nicodemus is a smart guy. He picks up on this. He understands why this is hard. Look at verse 4. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Born again like my mother's womb? Like, I can't get back in there. What what are we even talking about, Jesus? There's some debate among the commentators what Nicodemus is actually saying here. Some say he's like genuinely off kilter and confused. Saying, Jesus, you've got to give me something. I, I don't know what you're talking about with this new birth thing. Some people actually say that he's giving Jesus some lip. He's actually sort of punching back on Jesus with an insult. But in either case, we know he doesn't get it, and so Jesus is going to unpack it a little bit for him. Jesus doubles down. Look at verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, there's the double amen again. Listen to this, Nicodemus. Listen to this, Josh Hughes. Listen to this, people of Four Oaks Church. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now this idea of water and spirit, we need to think about what that is for just a minute. What does he mean when he says water and spirit? There are some traditions that teach that you actually don't become regenerated, you don't experience the new birth until you get baptized in the water. That is not correct, by the way. <laughs> that is not correct. Um, And some of of those traditions will say he's talking about water baptism. You need to be born of water and spirit. Those things happen together. That's actually an anachronistic reading of that text. It's not until after Pentecost that uh, the practice of Christian baptism begins in the early church. What Jesus is actually doing when he talks about being born of water and the spirit, he's saying, Nicodemus, you're the teacher of Israel. This is Old Testament stuff. I'm telling you about something that you know from your Old Testament scriptures. He's pointing him back to Ezekiel chapter 36, where God makes this beautiful prophecy to his people, this promise of the new covenant that's coming. Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 25, God speaks through the prophet. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I'll give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What Jesus is saying is that in the new birth, there's this, there's this negative aspect and a positive aspect. Negatively, Jesus is going gonna to take away the sin in our hearts through this purifying washing of water. That's going to purify us from our worship of idols, our disordered desires, and the sin that clings to us. And then positively, he's going to give us a heart of flesh, a heart that beats for the things of God, a heart that's ordered toward God and his purposes will cause us to walk in his commands. Negatively, purica- purification from sin. Positively, creation of new life by the power of the Spirit. Why does Nicodemus need this? Why do we need this? Look at verse 6. Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This is why the new birth is essential. The only thing the flesh can produce is what? More flesh. Something that's broken and defiled and corrupted cannot produce something that is pure and undefiled. That's why we all inherit the sin of Adam, and we need the washing and the cleansing of the blood of Christ and the renewal of the Spirit to produce His life in us. John chapter 6, verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Nicodemus, I'm not talking about a physical act. I'm not talking about an act of the flesh. I'm talking about a spiritual grace This is what we saw in Titus chapter 3 that we read this morning. It says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of work done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Thou must save, and thou alone. We must be born Again, born of the Spirit. Jesus gives what I think is a really helpful illustration in verses 7 through 8 of what he's communicating here. He says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Literally, he's saying, stop being surprised, Nicodemus. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the The Spirit. The wind and the Spirit are actually in the original language the same word, the word pneuma. It means wind and spirit. And the wind is actually a really helpful illustration of how Jesus is saying the Spirit works in regenerating us. You can't see the wind, right? You can only see its effects. So think back to last fall, we had that hurricane come through. Some of you were like, I'm not ready to talk about it yet. I just got my power back on like three days ago. You never saw the wind, did you? But you saw its effects. You saw sideways rain. You saw it like manifested on your roof. Trees, decades-old trees, ripped out of the ground. This powerful thing, these powerful effects, but you can't see it. You can't see where it comes from. You can't summon it. You can't force the wind to blow, but it's, its effect is seen all around us. So just yesterday, my wife took uh, my seven-year-old son, Titus, to Trader Joe's, and uh, they picked up their groceries, and they're checking out, and she sticks her credit card in the little slot, and then the transaction is complete. And Titus, you know, he's a curious little guy. He's like, what's that about? What, what are we doing here with the, with the piece of plastic? And this is, this is maybe a flawed analogy, but you'll get what I mean. It's like, I, I don't totally know how that works, right? It's like, I don't see the little man who gets the cash out of my bank account and takes it over to Trader Joe's and deposits it in their bank account. But I know the effects of that. It, it, like, cause we carry the groceries out and they don't arrest us. We see how it works. We don't, we don't understand exactly what it's doing or, or how it goes, but, but we see the effect of its work plainly. Now I know some of you can explain how electronic funds transfer works to me. Please don't, please don't email me that. I get it. It's a flawed analogy, I admit. The point is we don't see it, we can't control it, but its effects are apparent and clear to us. And, and no, notice this as well. This is a supernatural work when the Holy Spirit creates new life in us. You don't decide to get born again any more than you decide to be physically born the first time, right? Did anybody have any input on when they were born? Seriously, did you? No. Like, there was no meeting where I sat around the table with, like, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and whomever else. I'm like, you know, David and Kim Hughes seem like really great people. August is a great month to be born. Let's do that. Uh, you know, I'd like to be kind of tall, whatever. That never happened. One day it's like, okay, cool, I'm here. Somebody decided that I'm going to be born. It's like that with a new birth. We can't, we can't conjure it up. We can't make it happen through our will or through our religious devotion. God works that out in accordance with his sovereign will. The actual word for, for new birth there is anothen, born from above. Some of your translations will say it has to be the gift of God. But when the Spirit gives that gift, the effects are undeniable. We see it clearly. C.S. Lewis, his new birth happened on September twenty second, 1931. I love Lewis is writing, uh, and according to his biography, he went with his brother Warren to Whipsnade Zoo one morning. Warren's driving the motorcycle. He's riding in the sidecar. And in his book, Surprised by Joy, he says it this way. He says, I know very well when, but hardly how the final step was taken. I was driven to Whipsnade one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. Yet I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. It was more like when a man, after a long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. Our sister Vanessa, we heard it when she gave testimony in the waters of baptism on Easter Sunday. She talked about God's pursuit of her and the way, that, the way that he moved in her life to bring her to this place where it's the last day of the women's retreat During the singing time, she said, I sobbed glorious tears, tears of knowing I'm a sinner. I need a Savior, and I have one in Jesus Christ. The new birth, we see its effects. It gives us a new mind to understand the things of God, to understand the mysteries that are contained in this book. It gives us a new heart with new affections for the things of God. It, It spoils our taste for sin. Things that we used to love they become bitter to us because God retrains our affections. We begin to see the, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We begin to, to see progress in the faith and, and joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. This is the effect of the Spirit's work of regeneration, new birth in our hearts. And how does it come about? How does God do this work in our hearts? Flip back one page. I want to review something that we looked at a few weeks ago, just briefly. John chapter 1, in the theological prologue he gives to this book. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. John is talking about what Jesus came to accomplish and what he did among us. Verse 11, he says, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God who were born. Stop right there. Do you think he's talking about physical birth? Or do you think he's talking about new birth there? Let's keep reading and find out. Children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's saying to all who receive Jesus Christ, who believe in his name, who place their hope And their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, who repent of their sins and come to Him for salvation, are given this gift of new birth. They're given the right to become children of God according to the working of God. That's how it happens. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, Josh, Four Oaks Church, listen to me. You think you need a makeover, you need a takeover, you think you need a new leaf. What you need is new life. You must be born again. And so the question we've been building to this whole whole morning is this, have you experienced the new birth? Have you been born again? I didn't ask if you've had some sort of emotional experience. Having an emotional mountaintop experience doesn't make you a Christian. I didn't ask if you have given intellectual assent to the things of God and Christ. Even the demons believe. And they shudder. Knowledge is not enough. Emotional experience is not enough. I didn't ask if you were regularly attending church. Attending church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to Maple Street Biscuit Company makes you a delicious breakfast sandwich. Right? (laughs) Have you experienced the new birth? Has God given you a new heart? If he hasn't, the first thing I just want to invite you to is is ask him to do it. Receive him. Believe in his name. Believe in his message. Believe the, the testimony of the eyewitnesses that he's the son of God who died for you. Ask him to give you the gift of the new birth and believe those promises are for you. If you have experienced a new birth, I want to give you just uh, three really quick applications that I think this doctrine calls us to. They're going to take you upward, inward, and outward. You've heard us use that language before here if you've been around. So upward. What does this doctrine do for you in relationship to God? Well, it should move you to joy. It should move you to worship and celebration. Have you reckoned recently with the fact that God has done for you in Jesus Christ what you could never do for yourself. He took your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. He cracked your chest, took out what was broken in you, what was dead in you, and gave you a heart that loves Him. What kind of Savior is this? That we would know Him and know the work that He's done for us. That's upward, inward, in relationship to yourself, Guys, this doctrine should make us humble. You can't believe this doctrine and walk with a swagger and be consistent. There's no varsity squad in the Christian life. There's only beggars who have experienced the lavish mercy and grace of God in Christ. That's all there is in the kingdom. People who have received God's undeserved favor. Finally, outwardly, guys, if this work of regeneration is spiritual, if it's from above, then that should make us fervent in our prayers for people who are far from God and bold in our prayers. God can move like that. God can use any means He wishes to bring people to faith in Him. He can perform the miracle of regeneration of the new birth at any point, at any moment. So we should pray and ask Him to do it. Even this week, let's let's commit ourselves, church, to be To just redouble our efforts in prayer for the people that we love. Yes, let's share the gospel with them. Let's do that too. But let's do so praying that God would bring about new life in their hearts. Amen? You know, Nicodemus shows up twice more in in John's gospel. He's sort of hanging around the fringes of Jesus' ministry. And we never really know. Does he ever experience the new birth? We're not told explicitly. Where are you going to land in this? Nicodemus is a portrait of a religious man. He had all the religion in the world, but he had no spiritual life. How about you? Would you pray with me?